With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enroll now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO 3077. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon. Welcome to a Dwayne's World with a difference. A, the man himself, Dwayne Russell, is not here. He's uh, taking a well-earned break. I think he's jetting off uh, to Europe a little bit uh, later. So it's Julian DeStoop and Campbell Brown, or the King of Thongs, as he is known around the uh, SEN building uh, with you. And we are live from Sheen Panel Service, Lilydale. In beautiful Lilydale, the gateway uh, to the Yarra Valley here in Melbourne. Sheen Panel Service, Lilydale now open. Come and meet the team at 56 John Street, Lilydale. If you're around, uh, pop on down. Absolutely magnificent day uh, for an OB, and we've got you covered. It's a huge weekend of sport. We'll chat to Ian Healy, head of the World Cup tonight, Australia versus Pakistan, of course. Melbourne Victory Membership Day here on SEN. Uh, $60 three-game Melbourne Victory Memberships today only. Go to mvfc.com.au. We'll speak to Jake Brimmer. Uh, their returning star. He's been out for about eight months with injury. And, of course, huge weekend of racing that Brownie will be all over. He'll give us his tips. And we'll hopefully chat uh, to Chris Waller and also one of the owners, one of the Tigers that's in uh, one of the other live chances in the Caulfield Cup. Uh, Sulcum, uh, Brownie, welcome and uh, welcome to Lilydale. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this isn't too far from where I live. I'm a Hurstbridge uh, nice, boy yeah. now. And, um, and so it's just around the corner. And it's magnificent to be here at Sheen Panel Service. And... There's a bit going on, isn't there? There's plenty going on. So jump on the Werribee Care open line, of course. Midday Madness. There's no Dwayne, but there's still uh, Midday Madness. Uh, thanks to Werribee Care. one 736 736 awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Care makes buying cars easy. Anything you want to talk about? Obviously, there is some issues still swirling around in footy with what happened uh, at Melbourne uh, with Joel Smith and obviously the trade period is wrapped up. So couple, one question we wanted to ask you about the trade period today. I'll get your thoughts on this one. Uh, Brownie, obviously there was a lot of big names last year. You know, Luke Jackson, Jason Horn, Francis Hopper, Taranto, Dunkley, Tom Mitchell, Rankin, Brody Grundy, uh, Jager O'Meara. So there wasn't those big names uh, this year. And, and, you know, one that obviously stood up that we didn't mention there was Bobby Hill. And I don't think anyone this time last year, they thought Bobby Hill's a good player. He'll be in Collingwood's best 22. He'll fit in nicely to Craig McRae's side. But I don't think anyone sort of thought that he would be such an important figure in a premiership and in a final series. Is there, is there one player from this year's trade period? As we say, they're not as big a names as the one mentioned there. But is there someone that, that can do a Bobby Hill? That can, this time, no, next year we go, gee, that was a good trade. To get him in for what you pay, that was a fantastic trade, and he has had a fantastic 2024. Yeah, I think the, the guy that I've always had a lot of time for from the Melbourne Footy Club is James Jordan. And I know the Sydney Swans were really keen to get their hands on him. He, he's played um, 65 games in four seasons there at, uh, at Melbourne, and um, he's you know, 22 years of age. He, he was the sub, used as a sub a lot um, throughout the, the back end of his career yeah. there. And, and in that, you know, that grand final run, he was pretty much, he hardly got on the, the ground from round 23 through the final series. But um, I think he could be the guy, you know, at Sydney, 
Obviously, Horse has got a high opinion of him. Give him some more minutes um, through the midfield. Uh, he can find the footy. We, we know that. He played, he's played a lot of footy, yeah. um, you know, 22 games last year, 25 the year before that, and even 18 this year, albeit, you know, probably didn't get the, the game time he would have liked. He could be the guy that really sort of steps up next year and, and uh, people say, geez, how could Melbourne have got rid of mm. him? Of the clubs, who do you feel a little bit more confident about going into 2024 with what they've done uh, in the last couple of weeks? Uh, well, everyone went into the trade period with, with uh, different ideas. Some were... You know, basically didn't do a lot, did they? Like GWS and, and a few of those mm. clubs didn't do too much at all. Um, I thought the, the the real winners of the trade period were probably um, Port Adelaide. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they were outstanding. They targeted a couple of people and they ended up getting them. Um, I, I think that Essendon did a really good job. Um, we are talking off air before about Jay Gresham and Xavier Dersma. Adds a little bit of polish, goal-kicking polish as well. And then obviously... The big fullback in Mackay and, and Todd Goldstein can still play a role as a ruckman. Hawthorne got busy late, didn't they? Um, mm. They they did a, a fair bit of work on that last day to um, top up their forward line, which was pretty impotent this year. I thought they did a reasonably good job to be as competitive as they were with the forward line they had. And Mitch Lewis lot, missed a lot of footy and makeshift, you know, forwards in Fergus Green and um, Kazitsky and those guys who. Um, you know, aren't established forwards, but they still manage to win seven games and be competitive. So they should be much better suited with, you know, Ginevan could get back to mm. kicking his, his 30 or 40 goals next year. Um, and you throw Marbia Chole in there, um, Jack Gunston, and all of a sudden it, it looks a lot stronger on paper. I want to talk to you about Melbourne as well uh, before we get to Brett and Daniel uh, on the open line. Just interested, you know, Sam Mitchell really well. You played with him. He was your captain there for a while. How will he... Not that Jack Ginneman's a, a massive handful. I mean, he's had, some, he's had some incidents and some things he probably needs to improve a little bit. But how will Sam handle a personality like that where, you know, Sam as a player was so straight down the line and it was all footy, footy, footy. How will he handle a bloke like yeah, Jack Yeah, he, he was pretty rigid and had the blinkers on as a footballer and, um, you know, like things done a certain way. You had to train hard. You had to do things Mitch's way. And that's what made him the great player and captain that he was, I think as he's got a, a little bit older and it's certainly gone into coaching and now he's a senior coach, he's, he's learnt to be a little bit more open-minded and flexible with, um, you know, the way that players live their lives. Now, that's you've still got to be professional. You've still got to be punctual. You've still got to have a team-first attitude. But um, one of the things that good coaches, I think, drive is having a life outside of footy. And um, the, the best example I can probably come up with you know, we had a couple of rogues back mm-hmm. in the day, and um, they were great players, but they did things differently. Buddy Franklin, Josh Gibson. <laughs> well, I did things a bit differently, but I, I wasn't at their level. And it was probably almost frowned upon a little bit with how they lived their life socially and, and what they chose to do. Like Josh Gibson famously ducked off in a split round and went to LA for four or five days, right? Yep. Which um, at the time, you know, we were thinking was unheard of, but would come back win premierships, play you know, well and win best and fairest. And gradually over time under Clarko and Mitch and those guys, they, they worked out that um, you, can, you can have a balance as long as you get the balance right. Um, ben Stratton was a DJ at Revolver yep. at 3 a.m. in the morning as the captain of the footy club because that was a passion of his. And if, if you know that players are happy and, um, and, and doing the right thing off field, it certainly helps with your footy. So I think Jack Ginevan's one of those guys. He does things differently. He's got a, a stack of talent. I'd still love to see him get fitter. Yep. That's, that's 
probably my biggest knock on him because he can find the footy. He's a great sub because he comes on and gives you X factor. But if you want to be a really good established AFL footballer you, and, and be playing that, that half forward role, you need a really big engine, mm. work up the field, play a few minutes through the midfield and, and work hard back the other way and kick some goals. So um, I reckon it would have you know, been tough for Jack, winning a flag, mm. celebrating with your teammates and then leaving. But I think for his footy, and certainly uh, what he could offer the Hawthorne Footy Club, it could be a really good move for him. He's, and he's got his premiership around yep. his neck, so he'll always, no matter what, be much loved by the Pies mm-hmm. supporters and be a premiership player, be welcome back to that footy club with open arms. Get on the line today. We've got some great prizes to give away, including a double pass, uh, GA to Cox Plate Eve next Friday night, October 27. Uh, E-gift card as well, Signet Boost, uh, Power Pank. So get on the line, uh, 40 Wings Temper as well, 0433-981116. Got one here saying Massimo D'Ambrosio to have the Bobby Hill effect, says Harley in Preston. Let's get to one of our good friends on the run home. He's called in a bit earlier today, old Brett from St. Albans. Go, Brett. Hey, Knackers, uh, I've got a couple of questions for the... Yeah, good. Uh, A couple of questions for the dog, if that's possible. (laughs) Far away. Uh, Listen, Campbell, the first one revolves around the Caulfield Cup. Now, your old uh, buddy Ben Dixon likes to think of himself as a uh, bit of a punter, and he declared that Valiant King would win the Caulfield Cup if it got off the plane in one piece. Is he... Up the, is he uh, on the right track there? Pardon the pun. What are your thoughts? Because I had a crack at it when it was 34. It's into 13 now. And the second one is regarding Las Vegas. I'm making my first trip there in February next year. I need your expertise, mate. <laughs> Where do I go? What are the top three places to go to? And is there any chance you can get on the line to Prince Harry and flick a text out to him to uh, meet up with me? Because you partied reckon- with him, didn't you? I, I did over there a long time ago. I reckon uh, Prince Harry, now that he's married to Meghan Markle, wouldn't be able to, wouldn't be allowed within a hundred miles of uh, Las Vegas by the, the looks of uh, how she controls that relationship. No I'll chance. start off with Valiant King, um, very nice horse. Obviously, come from overseas. Joseph O'Brien knows what it takes to win these big races. He's won two Melbourne Cups and he's he's about twenty eight years of age. The only thing I will say about Valiant King. Um, is no horse has won the Caulfield Cup from Barrier 1 since like 1941 or something like that. It's about 80 years since uh, since a horse has won the Melbourne Cup from Barrier 1. So Jamie Carr has got to do her absolute best to vo- defy history, but it's it's certainly a chance and you've got the right price. Um, in terms of Vegas, <laughs> I, I'm tipping West Wind Blows, by the way, mm-hmm. in that race. It's a second elected, about $6.50, but it's a, it's a wide-open Caulfield Cup and it's a cracking Caulfield Cup. Um, Vegas, I would stay at uh, at the Cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get one of those rooms with the, the balcony that overlooks the Bellagio yes, water feature. Yep. That's, that's always nice as the sun's going down to, to sit there and watch that. I'd go to Excess, uh, which is uh, at the Encore there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a bad establishment. Um, I'd go to the, uh, the Cosmopolitan um, pool party there. Mm-hmm. It's called Marquee. And... Uh, and just float around, obviously do some of the touristy things. You can uh, see the Grand Canyon and stuff yeah. like that, which I always do, Jules. Of course you do. When I'm there. Get but the chopper flight out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a great place, and I'm sure that you'll find plenty of fun. You know, did you ever drive a NASCAR when you were in Vegas? Never did, did that. that. That's nah. magnificent. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Frightening, because you drive yourself. Yeah. I just thought I'm jumping in, and some bloke's going to take me for a spin, or you at least show it. me how to do it. Just in there by yourself. <laughs> drove like Miss Daisy for the first couple of laps till I got uh, used to it. Brett, enjoy. Uh, let's get to Daniel in Elwood. Wants to talk about a blues recruit. G'day, Daniel. 
Hey, boys. I've uh, been listening this morning. A lot of kind of angry texters on all the Joel Smith stuff, and I guess in the background the Elijah Hollands news has come to the fore in respect to him uh, being up for some possession charges. You're talking about the best recruit for the year before. Like, Hollands was bought pretty cheap. Mm. Now that this has come to light, do you reckon he's kind of got, like, more upside, or do you look at him as being more of a risk? Like, obviously, he's a young kid away from home, comes back to a club with his brother. Like, he's sublime talent. Just wondering how that made you think about that trade in hindsight. Uh, it hasn't really changed the way I've thought about that trade, to be honest. Look, he does have some personal family reasons to come back. Uh, to Victoria. Look, I think it was, you know, Carlton were aware of the situation. Uh, Gold Coast had, had told them about it. It didn't um, change their view on getting Elijah to the club. And obviously that will all play out uh, in the courts at time. But I don't, look, for me, I don't think he's more of a flight risk because, you know, he's made this mistake that obviously will go uh, through the court system. And uh, oh, from a football point of view, I think it's a really good pick up for yeah. the Blues. Oh, he's a number seven draft pick, and for whatever reason, I know he, he did his knee and missed a lot of mm. footy um, early in his career, which is a real setback. Like, you're trying to establish yourself at a new club on, on a list and find a role, and, um, and missing footy, you just, you're jealous of your, your, your fellow draftees that are getting games and opportunities. You're frustrated because you're in rehab. Um, number seven pick that's only played 14 games. I, I saw him play through the final series uh, in the VFL for the Suns, who went on to win it, and uh, he was he was a huge contributor to that. So maybe get him, you know, get him back uh, back to a club with his with his brother, um, new environment. Um, you know, if I was a Carlton supporter, I only would have been upset and frustrated with the the drug stuff that's come out if they weren't transparent. Correct. And if it, yeah. and it caught them by surprise, mm. not that it would have changed the, the mind. I don't think of the Carlton people, but. It was nice and transparent yeah, through agree. management, Suns, mm-hmm. Carlton. They all knew what they were getting. It's unfortunate that, you know, he's he's gone down that path and he'll deal with the consequences. But, um, he's, George, he won't be the first player that's uh, it's ended up doing a court appearance at Southport Corp. He's, I, <laughs> I did a couple there, mate. Just to oh, maybe little, you give you a little call. slap on the wrist diversion pro, uh, process and uh, you get you plead guilty and they throw it out and that's as, that's as far as that will go. But it, it is newsworthy. It's public. Yep. And certainly on the back of the Joel Smith stuff, um, you know, the old, the old double drug story mm-hmm. in the AFL is always going to be quite large. Before we get to the break, just quickly your thoughts on the Joel Smith situation, personally, from you know what he did and the, the, I mean, he should never be taking it, but the time that he did, and also, Melbourne have defended their culture for a long time. Even Simon Goodwin, at the best and fairest, said the reason they're as good as they are because of the culture they they they've developed. But it's pretty, getting a bit hard to defend it now, isn't it? Yeah, there's a few cracks in the uh, that argument, aren't there? Um, and you know, I spoke to a lot of people in the last you know 24 hours. When it was initially you know, a, a, a Victorian finals-based club, right, and then every single person to a man said, "I bet you it's a Melbourne player," mm. which sort of tells yeah, you, you know, what's what's um, nestling out there. And then when they did eventually name Joel Smith, you're surprised, um, but it's not ideal. I mean, you know, the, the Elijah Holland stuff is one thing, um, but to be to be done game day test that that's significant. And, and as far as I'm concerned. You know, the headline comes out saying a potential four-year ban. Right? It's not going to be four years. Never. Then they say, oh, but it's, it's more likely going to be, you know, two years. That's not going to happen either. Mm. It's not even going to be one year. Um, Robbo wrote an article basically saying now um, under the, the, the revised Yeah, they changed ruling, a couple of years ago. If you can prove that it wasn't done for to be a stimulant on 
the game day to to be performance enhancing, then it's going to be a slap on the wrist. It's three months. A month of that's already served. So he'll miss, you know, November, December. He'll come back after Christmas, train with the group and be uh, available for round one mm. for a game day test. Mm. I mean, to me, that's nowhere near nah. strong enough or a bigger deterrent. If, if you're going to miss a month, eight weeks, 12 weeks of actual AFL football, that, that to me would send a really strong mm. message. So how can they prove one way or another, whether it's in the negative or the positive, that you were using it as a stimulant? Well, how does that ever happen? Well, I don't know. Probably by the strength of the test, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it might come back positive but yeah. quite low. Yeah. Um, but as an as a athlete, I mean, why you would be taking cocaine on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night before you played on Sunday. I mean, that's just unbelievably unprofessional. As a teammate, you'd be really disappointed. Mm. As, as fans, you'd be ropeable with that situation, especially from a guy that has been in the system eight years. He's had his troubles yeah. with injuries and everything. Yeah. So every opportunity yep. he got late in the season, he should have been taking with, you know, with both hands because they were leading into a final series. And, um, uh, yeah, I'd be, you know, if, if he's available for selection round one by Melbourne, their actual club, and Surely not, they not have stood to down, they have to that, that'd it, be just gobsmacking. Mm. Uh, Melbourne fans, let us know uh, your thoughts. one three hundred seven three seven three six. 736 The Werribee Kia open line. Always open and water. National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Welcome back to Scenes Panel in Lilydale. Julian Stoop and Campbell Brown with you. Midday Madness for Work Locker, Caram Downs and Packenham. Unlock stocked and full of value. Workwear for wherever you work. Visit worklocker.com.au. Before we get to Tim in Brighton, got one here off the 40 Winks. Tempo, you can join it at any stage. 0433981116. Brownie saying, you know, you, you mentioned the suspension might only be three months. Someone's saying, well, why did Collingwood Sam Murray get two years? Uh, for, things changed. Yeah, they? things changed. So... Back in uh, 2021, uh, the rules uh, were changed. There was a tweet, and, and as you said before, if you can prove um, whether it's marijuana or whether it's um, cocaine, if you can prove it wasn't used for, for performance-enhancing reasons, uh, you can escape with a far less uh, 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 sanction. So i uh, just read it here. Uh, so under wider rules introduced in 2021, an athlete testing positive to cocaine or marijuana will only face a three-month suspension if they can prove the substance was used out of competition and that its use was unrelated uh, to sporting performance. He would need to prove his case at a hearing of the AFL's anti-doping tribunal and could have his suspension reduced to one month under the AFL's anti-doping code if he agreed to undergo substance of abuse treatment. So that's why some players, uh, you know, before then, Sam Murray, there was uh, Braden Crossley up at the Gold Coast as well. The rules have since changed uh, since they were suspended. Uh, Tim from Brighton's jumped on the line, wants to talk about the Bombers, I think. G'day, Tim. Yeah, g'day, Jules. G'day, Brownie. Just quickly, I agree with Brownie and what he said we were in regards to uh, Southport. We've all been there and done that in uh, some stage of our life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to do you want to elaborate a bit more there, Tim, or just let it go through to the keeper? Oh no, I can elaborate. It was uh, uh, many moons ago. I mean, I'm pretty old now, but uh, down Cavill Avenue, and uh, you know, just uh, a bit of D and D, uh, and got went one on one with the police. So uh, in the back of the paddy oh, wagon. No, no, no. no. <laughs> oh, you've matured then, Tim. Matured. I'm sure you've matured. Now, I have indeed. Now, um, I want to talk, you're talking about Bobby Hill. I reckon the player to uh, be similar to Bobby Hill next season is Jay Gresham going to your team, Jules. I think 
hundred and thirty odd mm-hmm. games. If he gets a, if he gets a good preseason in, and uh, you know he's got that X factor about him, I just think a new environment. Um, you know, he he can be really electric. I mean, he didn't work out for St Kilda, but I reckon there's a good chance he just might work out for Essendon. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, I, I remember going back to that 2018 season yeah. when um, he led the goal kicking mm-hmm. uh, for the Saints. Yeah. He, he kicked multiple goals on 11 occasions and finished here with 35, 35. goals. 35, that's his best For yeah. a, a, a young, small forward in a club that was struggling, that was a really good return. So, um, for whatever reason, never recaptured mm-hmm. that form the last few years, injuries, few injuries and a few yeah, things like that. Yep. Um, they, they bring in Jack Higgins and um, Dan Butler and a few players from other clubs and all of a sudden, uh, he's not playing the same role. Um, I, I think, yeah, he, he's, he's he's classy. I mean, you don't kick six in a game of AFL footy, uh, which he did against Richmond by accident. Mm. So, But is he that, I mean, Essendon's crying out for, you know, you look at all the good teams, that you know, the recent premiers, they've got these really good high half forwards to get up and down the ground, you know, Myers and, uh, you know, last year uh, for Geelong and close. And you look at the Pies this year with McCreary and, you know, Hill can do it. Is he that sort of player? Because that's, that's what Essendon need. Or is he more that sort of stay-at-home small forward that can pinch hit in the midfield? I would, I would just say to him, make the, the, the front 60 your own. So tackle, chase, pressure, work in a space. But, you know, always be active and on the move. And make sure you're getting to the, the feet of the big men. And some guys can get... It's the toughest role in footy, as far as I'm concerned, the, the small forward. At least if you're a big man, you know, you, you can crash packs mm. and... You're always getting the ball kicked on your head. Small forwards, they just rely so much on on the ball coming to ground. You do a lot of unrewarded running. So the, the pressure's, you know, not just put by one player, but the collective forward line needs to be really up. And when it is, you can cause turnovers and capitalise by kicking goals and get rewarded for that, that hard work. So I'd just say to him, work the front 60. Um, you know, we're not going to use you too high up the ground, but make sure your work rate is through the roof and you're giving us two or three uh, inside 50 tackles a game, minimum, and the goals will come from that. And um, he'll be able to recapture some form. Just one before we get uh, to the newsroom. Uh, one here, question for Brownie. He watched a lot of VFL, and a player from Footscray by the name of Lockie Sullivan was yep. a complete standout Star. every game, and he's had a really good few years down at Footscray. Is, it, is he the sort of guy that could get a crack at AFL level? Well, he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. There's... Players and uh, clubs littered with really good players that the only thing stopping them being AFL players is opportunity. And um, for whatever reason, he keeps getting overlooked and his numbers that he was putting up, especially in the back end of this year, were just absolutely phenomenal. So I really hope for for Lockie's sake um, and whichever club takes the risk on that guy, I reckon they'll be rewarded. Uh, just one off the temper here. Ben Ronk kicks seven in a game. Accidents happen. <laughs> that was against the Hawks too, wasn't Kyle, it? Kyle Remus kicked eight one day. Against the uh, Gold, Gold Coast, Coast Suns. I think yeah. he kicked 15 in the first quarter. The time, so no, <laughs> no surprise, he got eight. <laughs> Welcome back, Julian Stupid Campbell Brown with you live from Sheen Panel Service in Lilydale, 56 John Street, Lilydale. Apologies, uh, just a few technical uh, problems there. We've sorted them out. Let's get back to Jeff uh, in Jan Juck. Thanks for holding on, Jeff. Good on you, boys. Um, Back in the 1960s when I was in high school, there used to be a saying that the kids who talked about having sex the most were the ones who were doing it the least. And that reminds me of Melbourne, Melbourne and their culture. Melbourne have talked a very big game about culture. Well, arrogance doesn't equal culture and culture doesn't equal arrogance. And since the 21 grand final, 
they all they've done is talk about culture, and all they've done is be arrogant. And it's they've had that many incidents that have come back to bite them on the backside. It is not funny. They should be ashamed. You a Melbourne fan, Jeff? Uh, clearly not. <laughs> I thought you might have just been an angry one. Oh uh, yeah, well, look, I'd be angry if I was a Melbourne fan, believe me, because um, there's just been so much talk from the coach, from the uh, football department, from everybody in that club, and they've got more skeletons and more things hanging over their head than uh, any any football club should have, and, and especially when they're talking up a very, very big game about how great their culture is. Well, sorry, boys. Thanks for your call, Jeff. Thanks for hanging on. A $50 e-gift card coming your way. Redeemable online or in-store. Thanks to the House of Golf, your one-stop shop for all things golf. I think the two clubs that have clearly got the best culture in the AFL over the last 20 years are the Geelong Cats and, and the Sydney Swans, Sydney Swans the Bloods. Yep. Like they, they just get it, um, and very rarely do they have off-field incidents. They've got uh, you know, decades of success. They're consistent. Um, and yeah, they're, they're the two benchmarks. I mean, Melbourne Storm have a great culture. They, they've had a couple of little mm-hmm. issues too yep. here and there with the Cam Munster staff a couple of years ago. And a and good everything. culture doesn't mean you're not going to have a few issues. No, no, time it doesn't. Time. It, it doesn't at all. But um, but I reckon yeah, they're the benchmark in terms of AFL. Um, you know, clearly. I mean, the Cats won the flag last year, and Sydney have only missed the finals a couple of times in the last you know eighteen. We'll get to St Paul in a sec. Just. On that, and not saying the issues are the same, but it, it appeared like at Hawthorne after 08, you didn't handle winning a premiership very well. Yeah. Can you remember what went wrong? Uh, I think it was a magnitude of things. A lot of people just throw the word around like premiership hangover. What actually is that? Because while we, we, we partied and enjoyed the success of that surprise premiership, we certainly trained just as hard, but, um, you know... Did we lose the eye of the tiger a couple of percent? Um, we we didn't have Trent Crowe to ever play again, and Shane yeah, Crawford retired. Injuries, um, we had some injuries. We we probably went in the following year with the same game plan and the same mindset, and didn't evolve. And other sides had had done their homework on how you know an opposition side wins the flag, and they go to work on breaking them down. So there was a, there was a few reasons as to why, but um, I, I think we all know Melbourne's issues since their forward line. It has been, you know, for two years. They just they get enough inside 50s. They win the clearances. They, they lock the ball inside their, their forward half, so they win the territory battle. Mm. But they just can't score. But is it... They're not good inside 50s, though. Isn't that the problem? Like, you look at Collingwood. They've got the Dacos brothers. They've got Pendlebury. They've got Sidebottom. They've got Dagoe kicking it in there. Melbourne's got Viney, Oliver, Langdon. I mean, Hunter's not bad. Billings might be handy for them in that respect. But... How much of the fault is the delivering compared to how much of the fault is the forwards? Yeah, it's probably a, a mixture of both. Um, you know, co- we talk a lot about like, the continuity between the mids and the forwards. And when that's in sync, players are, know where to kick the ball, where their leading patterns, everything like that. At Melbourne, I think that they just rely too heavily on winning the stoppage, hacking it forward. And unfortunately, they don't have those big key forwards uh, up there to that are able to... to you know, get the job done. So they're, they're too reliant on, on players that are a little bit inconsistent at the moment. It's Midday Madness. You can join us at any time, one 736 736 St. Paul from Mount Eliza has been holding on. Thanks for holding on, mate. Hey, boys. How you doing? It's all good. What? Good, thank you. Yeah, good. I just wanted to um, ask the question, uh, 
about is pick one overrated? I'll give you these stats. Um, there's only ever been one Brownlow medalist that's gone as a pick one. And there yes, is Mr. only Cooney. three players, three players in the competition um, that have been picked one that have been premiership players. They are Des Headland, mm-hmm. Luke Hodge, yep. and Tom Boyd. The Brownlow medalist was Adam Cooney. That's so right. the draft has been in operation since 1986, and Richard Lander was the first player ever to be drafted from memory. And I just think, whilst it's great to have it, it doesn't necessarily bring what everyone would expect it to bring. Your thoughts, yeah. please. Yeah, Martin Leslie was the first number one draft pick. I think Lander might have been the, the year after. Well, it's one pick difference between one and two. It's just all the focus is on uh, is on pick one. It, it comes with the, the big high-profile tag, doesn't it? You'd rather it? be number two. And, well, yeah, but, but also, in terms of a footy club, once you set foot into those four walls... It doesn't matter if you were, you were you know, Luke Hodge at number one or Brad Sewell who came off the rookie list. You're all fighting for you know, a, a spot in the team. You're all fighting um, to, to be a significant tri- contributor week to week. And, um, and that, that number one tag can sometimes be detrimental to players because you know, if, if a player who has picked four comes out and has a great first couple of years, you're constantly getting compared to and everything like that. But... Um, I look at, at footy lists in their totality, and while the number one draft pick is great, you're guaranteed getting a great footballer. You need to complement them with players around them that can help you build a, a premiership winning side. So, so what would you do if you're the West Coast Eagles? Um, well, I would absolutely take Harley uh, Reid. Uh, would, would you not trade it away? And if you could get... I heard Mick Ablett on with um, Sam Eben earlier today. If they could get six and two, would you trade that for one? Uh yeah, potentially, um, because then you're getting two really high-quality players. But all reports around Harley is that they, they think he's going to be you know, a future captain of that mm-hmm. footy club and, and a real leader. Um, you know, he, he trains hard. He's got the right mentality. All, all the things that recruiters look to tick the box, um, he's got them all, a la Luke Hodge. You know, and you could have flipped a coin as to whether you took Chris Judd, Luke Ball or, or Luke Hodge. Mm-hmm. And all three of them went on to be you know, superstars. It wouldn't have mattered. Um, but the, 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 the thing that swayed Hawthorne um, was, and John Turnbull made the, the yep. decision, was the leadership. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the player that can drive a culture and drive standards. And that's certainly, I mean, it didn't, didn't happen day one. It took probably three or four years. And um, we talk about Jack Ginevan being unprofessional. I always go back to Luke Hodge, who was a, one of the great Colac country kids of all time. Loved to drink. Yeah. Ate poorly. You know, didn't know what... Uh, training standards and diet and everything was, and gradually he got better and better and better, and look at the career he ended up having. So it doesn't happen overnight for these youngsters. Just on Jack Gidman, uh, thanks for your call, uh, St. Paul. The Signet Boost Power Bank valued at forty four ninety five coming your way. Signet Boost Power Bank will keep your phone, tablet, and earbuds powered twenty four seven. Do we mark Jack hard because of the things that come with Jack? I mean, twenty years old, off the rookie list, kick forty goals in a season. And he's played. Look, he didn't have a great year this year, but he's played in a premiership now. And people were saying during the week, oh, he's probably worth pick 40, 45. I mean, for most other players with that CV, you'd be desperate to get into your footy club. You would. Um, you know, I, th- I think with Jack, he's got a really high profile um, because of not just what he's done on the footy field, because of the, the high tackle stuff, mm-hmm. you know, with the laws of the game. 
Um, Place of Collingwood. The, the TikTok following, the, the little, you know, the odd little thing that's happened um, off field. And you, if, you, if you're Jack, you can't take the good with the bad. You can't be happy getting the endorsement deals at Mooney Valley. Yep. He plays up to a lot of that as well. You know what I mean? He plays up mm-hmm. to it because he's a lad. He doesn't take himself too seriously. And, and with that comes a, a higher profile than maybe what his footy deserves. But as you mentioned, he's still a young kid and um, he's got a bit of flair and character, which we love to see. He just, I mean, I love the races as much as anyone. Mm. You know, it wouldn't take much to get me there. Grand final leave. But I would never do that because I wouldn't want the pressure on myself if I played poorly the next day, which he did. Um, God help him if they lost. Correct. What would have, you know, what would have happened? That would have, that would have been a shadow on him for the rest of his playing career. You might, he might never have got another opportunity on grand final day to redeem him. You know, you, you can go to every grand final, uh, every race meet for the next six months. You don't right, to, and no one would batter an eyelid. No. But you don't need to go on, on grand final eve. So um, I would have been really disappointed if one of my teammates did that. Yeah, and I think the coach was pretty disappointed. So I think that's one of the, the reasons he ended up, you know, not there in the end. Mm. I, mean, I think if he doesn't go to Mooney Valley on the Friday night, he probably stays at Collingwood, to yeah. be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, I reckon you might be right. Let's go to Michael uh, in Templestowe. He wants to talk about the draft. Go, Mick. Uh, good afternoon, boys. Just further to the previous caller about pick one, I think you still need those top-end picks. Like, if you look at the Richmond dynasty, we had Cochin at two, mm-hmm. Dusty at three, Vloston, I think, was pick eight. Yeah, And then we right. brought in Lynch and Prestia that were both top-ten picks. So, essentially, at the end of the day, you need a you need a core of at least seven to eight players that are high draft picks and then build your team around that, which Richmond have obviously done with rookie and later picks as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, probably. I mean, it is changing a bit now with uh, free agency and obviously with a new team potentially coming in or should be coming in from Tassie. That's going to change as well. But the Hawks, the Hawks dynasty is the same. It's built on Franklin, Roughhead, Hodge, uh, Lewis, Rioli, all very high draft picks. Birchall was another first-round draft pick. So I think it's pretty hard to win a flag if you don't have those high-end draft picks. But I think it's changing a little bit. It's your top-end talent, I think, that, that um, gets you in... Contention, and and I think then it's players fifteen to twenty three, your real um, role players that can be the difference between winning you know a close final mm-hmm. by a kick or two, and then a grand final or losing it, and um, and that's that's about the talent will always be high quality more often than not, but you need a sprinkling because there's more there's more role players in a side than star talent. You know what I mean? That's right. And if you've got those role players really playing at their absolute capacity um, week to week, then you get, you're going you're gonna to win you know, more games than you lose, and you're going to put yourself in opportunity to finish top four and then eventually win a premiership. Uh, thank you for your call, uh, Michael. GA double pass to the Cox Plate Eve on Friday the 27th of October. You might even see Jack Ginnivan there. Experience racing action and entertainment at the Lagbrokes Cox Plate Carnival. Tickets at coxplate.com.au. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop and Campbell Brown with you. Ian Healy to join us after 1 o'clock. Uh, Australia v Pakistan at the World Cup tonight. Just reading a story from Riley Beveridge Brownie on the AFL website. Let's talk this week that a couple of games to be played in Sydney uh, a week earlier to sort of... Um, match up with the NRL. Now there's also talk on that weekend before there might be two games up in Queensland, Brisbane potentially to play Carlton and Gold Coast uh, hosting Richmond. Do you like that idea of splitting round one to make sure we start with the NRL or 
Do we, don't, do we have to worry of the NRL starting a week earlier? I don't think we have to worry, but I, I do like the, the thought that the AFL are... I mean, it is a truly national game, and sometimes we get a little bit Vic-centric, I think, with the start of the, the AFL season, mm-hmm. being the big build-up, which was traditionally Carlton and and, uh, and Richmond. And, you know, so maybe, you know, to do that, there's, there's some of the, uh, the interstate sides do feel a little bit left out in terms of that regard, but, um, yeah, I don't think the AFL have too much to worry about in terms of NRL. Mm. Hey, just quickly before the news, Dave in Melton. G'day, Dave. G'day, boys. How you doing? I keep hearing Jack Innocent. I keep hearing Jack Innocent's only 20, right? Like Nick Bakelos and Will Ackroyd are only 20, and they're one-point-plus million-dollar players, and you've got Jack Innocent who's lucky to get a game. And that comes down to work ethic and attitude. And I think Brownie will vouch for this, that we've got a few boys in the second. We'll probably go past him anyway. Yeah, you're gonna, everyone's going to look pretty poor if you compare him to Nick Dacos. Yeah, you can't yeah, compare him to freaks of nature. No, that's right. But he's just got to head down, bum up, work hard and, and really cement himself in, in that new uh, footy club. That's how you earn respect. Kind of before the tournament, you, you bounce around plenty of different ideas. Uh, but at the moment, you know, it's, it, we look back at the last couple of games and, yeah, haven't got the wickets, but there's probably been three chances in each first ten overs that we just... Haven't got all, you know, LBW missed by millimetres or player misses. So we, we've been really happy with, um, yeah, the guys up front. Yeah. That was Australian captain Pat Cummins. Huge game for the Aussies tonight. One win, two losses. Uh, they come up against uh, Pakistan at the World Cup tonight. Uh, if you're just joining us, Julian DeStoop and Campbell Brown live from Sheen Panel Service. Lilydale in Lilydale, of course, the gateway to the beautiful Yarra Valley uh, here in Melbourne. Sheen Panel Service, Lilydale is now open. Come and meet the team at 56 John Street, Lilydale. Tell you what, Brownie, they've got a taco truck yeah, just off to the left. I can of smell it. It is busy. Very nice. There's people be... from businesses all over the shop yeah, come for the tacos here. I'm getting hungry, so oh. I'll be hopping into one of those very shortly. Absolutely. Smells beautiful. Ian Healy does join us, of course, Australian cricket legend and co-host of Pat and Heels. Thanks to Toolkit Depot, everything you need under one roof, tools, equipment, safety gear and workwear in store and online. Afternoon, Heels. G'day, fellas. How are you? Very well. He's hungry. He's very hungry. I tell you, he might, he might leave halfway through this interview and go and get something, I reckon. Uh, Hill's extraordinary week at the World Cup. I mean, the Aussies looked in all sorts of trouble uh, halfway through Sri Lanka's innings. And then during the week, two monumental upsets, and, uh, which we quite enjoyed because it was at the expense of uh, South Africa and England. What did you make of those two results, uh, Afghanistan beating England and the Netherlands beating South Africa? Oh, very uh, stunning um, whether. I'd love to know how it all happened, how, uh, whether it's laziness or, or trying too hard or complacency. Um, not sure, but you'd have to imagine it was a bit of everything. Uh, yeah, it, it has kept us in it. You, you do need to understand the format of the tournament so that you don't go too early uh, with your, with your uh, predictions. But uh, Australia, at least Australia lost two games that were losable. Um, and now, and they've just got to make sure they don't lose to an Afghanistan, Bangladesh um, type team, uh, Netherlands, and they should be right. Heels, uh, what did you make? You're a former keeper, one of the great Glovemen. What did you make of Alex Carey's um, getting dropped after just that first game? And and you know, Josh Inglis has come in. He's he's dropped a couple of half chances, and not much has gone his way. What have you thought of uh, of that change? Oh, the change I'm not a big fan of. I, I thought I've always got more faith than that to know that Alex should, would have got his batting going. 
when you're dropping a wicketkeeper because of their batting, you, it's probably a sign that the top order's not doing their job well enough. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of it. But Josh will be, he'll be fine. He's been around the team a long, long time, and um, he's been very patient. He's got this chance to sort of keep Alex out of all short-form cricket, but P20 as well as 50-over cricket, and uh, you know he might just settle as the test keeper. But uh, yeah, I'd rather have a, a batter, you know, a Matt Short who made 134 yesterday for Victoria from 100 balls. Like to have someone like that on the bench rather than a second wicketkeeper. Just on that, Tim Payne, uh, we spoke to him last Friday. Of course, a former keeper like yourself uh, doing a great job down at SEN Tassie. Was, he was stunned by the decision to drop Alex Carey. When yeah. assessing a, a keeper, I guess when there's two in the squad, how much should their batting be assessed compared to the work they're doing behind the stumps? Yeah, well, um, not very much. Um, but the, the wicket has to be very relevant for what the team needs. So if the top order is failing, you want your wicket keeper to put a, a, a rear guard effort in and, uh, you know, and be, and be right there when needed, uh, every, you know, a high percentage of the times. You, you, the wicket keeper's batting shouldn't be needed a high percentage of the times, but when you do get needed, you, you need to be handy. Uh, Alex Carey certainly got that covered, right? So... Um, but the, the you know eighty percent of the judgment is on your wick keeping, and if you're if you're letting down your bowlers and the team at important times or not, um, and and doing that job because a missed a missed a tough miss stumping of Virat Kohli um, has you know incredible uh, sort of ramifications as we saw last night. If if you miss him when he's on fire, you're in trouble. And uh, so the wicket keeping must be spot on. And uh, you know I don't I haven't heard of anything that Kerry was letting anyone down with. But but uh, you know Josh Josh will be fine as well. Hills, where, where do you think we're at the top of the order with Dave Warner and his his lack of form and looking ahead towards the the Australian summer? Um, there's obviously. A little bit of talk about his test spot as well and will he be able to hold his spot all the way through? Um, do you have an opinion on, on where he's at and how he's hitting the ball? Yeah, no, he's, he's going well, Brownie. Um, his form leading into this tournament was good. He, he made, oh, I think, half a dozen close to 50s and 50-plus scores in a row. So, but, but what I'm not seeing from him is a triple-figure score. Mm-hmm. Now, when, you play in, when you play in India... Um, and in one-day cricket, one of the top three have to score 100 every day. So, so, And that's what we haven't got out of our top three. So it's the first thing that's not working in our team at the moment. But I expect it to work tonight. I think, I think they're now they've been able to take a breath with the Sri Lankan victory. They're, they will be thinking so much less about all the other stuff they're worrying about. Well, should I attack? Should I not? Should I hold? Should I hit this one to six or not? You know, they're, they're little, they've been a little bit tentative. So now they, they're in. They've had those two losses that, that they've seen South Africa and England keep them in the tournament with. And I, I expect this to be much more clear-headed tonight. So I expect Warner, Marsh, Smith has, uh, needs to get going. And then Manus can bat at a, a higher run rate and, and hit rate than he has been. Um, but... I'd love to see Manus not bad again for the tournament because, you know, we could buy Warner, Marsh, Smith all doing their job. Then it's time for Sm- for Maxwell, Stoinis uh, and who's our other, and Inglis to come in, you know, and, and hit the sixes. 
So, so you know, our power players haven't done it. That's the second thing that we're not doing just yet. And our bowlers have been very tentative and not not very fiery and relentless. And I think that'll improve tonight too. So into Australian cricket legend, co-host of Patton Heels, Ian Healy. Just on David Warner, what was he talking about during the week when he suggested umpire statistics should be put on scoreboards? I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I, well, I don't... If you, if we knew what it meant, it might make sense. <laughs> what what sort of stats would you put up for an, a cricket umpire? I think he's talking about sort of accuracy and decision making. Well, they're, they're not um, they're not revealable, surely, and <laughs> I don't even know whether they're measurable, whether they've been measured. Well, well how but, do you measure but, them now yeah, with um, third they, umpire? Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, I must keep a record of how how they're all going or something by the sound of that. But then he said, "Well, I don't even know how Hawkeye works." How would he know that the umpires are being measured if he doesn't know how Hawkeye works? So he was, he wasn't wrapped, was he, with it, that decision? No, he, he, yeah, that's right. They have was, all got it in, and, and he's had a pretty poor run for an umpire called Joel Wilson, and hmm. he, he's making more errors than most, and, and that one wasn't quite right. And, and Joel explained himself. The umpires these days love explaining themselves. It's not out because it was going down late, right? They tell you. In our day, it was like, well, why, why did you give that not out? And he said, hey, you shut up and get back to sleep. <laughs> you get back and bowl if the bowlers ask, you know. They didn't explain anything. And, and so, but now they have to try to feel clever and explain themselves. And, of course, that gets them in trouble at times because Joel told Davey that it swung. It swung back onto the line of the stumps and it didn't. So now they know he doesn't know what he's watching. He'll still ever feel like with an umpire that it's, it's personal because I, I remember when I was playing for the Hawks and I used to s- sort of try and terrorise a few of the small forwards. Every single time I got pinged, whistle off the ball, it was Darren Goldspink. It didn't matter whether oh, he's five metres or 50 metres or 90 <laughs> metres, it was always Darren. And I'm just wondering if, uh, if, if the, as cricketers, you always felt like a half chance went the wrong way, it was a certain umpire. No, pro- no, I never felt it. Uh, no, and I don't know anyone. It wouldn't matter whether I felt it or not. I probably, as a wicketkeeper, might might be uh, might feel that at times, but I didn't. Um, the batsman might have something like that, but we probably none. No cricketers were infringing as much as you probably. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, were you un, were you guilty as charged all times? Well, I reckon I was a bit. Uh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't get charged too much. Oh, yeah, Brownie. Right, <laughs> Brownie, not yeah, you. Goldspink, Goldspink, seen straight through me again. <laughs> Don't get Hawthorne fans started on Darren Goldspink. They'll go on uh, all day. What about uh, Pakistan Heels? We've known they've had, what, six players struck down with a bit of a fever. They've really been mm. confined to their hotel because of some of the security reasons, because of the tensions between India and Pakistan. We've seen in the past, if not all's quite right off the field, it does start to affect their performances on field. What, what do you expect from Pakistan tonight? Well, some, and sometimes it uh, helps their performances, right? So mm. they do chaos really well. Um, what I expect, like I'm putting the virus aside and the fevers they've been feeling, and it's, that's not good for any team for that to be going through through a team in very hot and humid conditions. It, it's really sapping the, uh, the time in India at the moment. So, no, they've got, they've got a really technical, great top order. Now, the top four or five will bat really really correctly and and quite hit the ball cleanly but not power players not not go for the boundaries until they're really well set so we've got to get top order wickets 
And then their middle order is not known for power. Like like our middle order, uh, you know, it's, it's potential of Maxwell Stoinis and Inglis, um, you know, far outweighs what Pakistan have got. Another reason to get top order wickets because you'll stall their whole innings. Um, and then they've got a left uh, spinner, leg spinner, and they've got three quicks. That'll be that'll be fiery. They'll be coming at us and and not easy to score from. So you need to get through the first bit and not give up early wickets and set a big platform for a big total. So. Um, yeah, that, that's how you've got to play Pakistan. They, they've got enough to hurt you, so we'll just see how we go. Always a lot of talk about the Indian conditions and the, and the impact that has. Like, were you surprised the other day to hear Pat come and say he was struggling to read some of these Indian wickets, or, or is that something that can happen quite easily in the subcontinent? Oh, no. I think he just sort of owed us a complicated uh, answer, <laughs> really. I think, he, I think he sort of overthought his answer. You know, he, he won't mm. be having trouble reading. They, they know most evenings in most of the venues, dew comes in um, and the the, moisture, the outfield becomes a little bit moist and the wicket, the top of the wicket becomes a little bit more slick. So the ball won't grip in it. You know, it'll just slide on for Adam Zampa, for example. Um, our, our quicks and our spinners might struggle to hold that ball if it's if it's going across the outfield uh, a whole lot, and that's when it's quite difficult to bowl and much easier to bat. So, you know, I think what happened to him is the night before that interview, the Jew didn't come in, and that's what he had a problem yep. with. He thought, you know, we're all trying to bat first, um, a bowl first, and then bat second. We did that, but their bowlers still found it easy at night because the dew didn't come in. So he was a little confused, but he knows how to read these. Heels, you mentioned Matt Short before, a century yesterday in the Marsh Cup for Victoria. Did, should he, do you think he should have been in this squad for the, the one-day one World Cup, or is that a bit easy to say in, in hindsight? Oh, well, he was in the squad until they picked the final yep. 15, so he's very, yep. very close. I, I definitely would have had him um, on the bench. But they didn't use him very well in the matches in the lead-up to this World Cup. They didn't give him much of a chance to, to sort of make a 100 on tour. He was batting low. He was like a finisher. So he didn't get that opening position where he can make some stunning runs. So so he didn't quite get the chances. Um, but, yeah, I, I probably would have had someone like that on the bench. I would Imagine if we had Michael Neeser and Matt mm-hmm. Short uh, and Travis Head and Cameron Green's as our reserves at the moment, it'll be, be a lot of pressure pushing upwards and the performance would be great wherever we had to go with selections. Just one of the others, before we let you go, the other story this week in the world of cricket is the fact that uh, coming into the Olympics in 2028, uh, your thoughts on that decision and have you got a sense of what it would mean for a cricketer to, to go to an Olympics and, and, yeah. and have a successful Olympics? Well, I guess you've got to qualify it first for it first, um, mm. and I, I wonder what the format is going to be. You know, I've heard an eight-team format, right? Men's and women, eight teams. Yep. So there must, you know, and I looked it up through the week. There's 200 Olympic committees. Mm. So, so let's say a hundred of them want to play cricket. How, how do you qualify? The qualifying yeah. tiers and tournaments around the world are going to be huge. You get through to the final, uh, which is eight teams. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be pretty good. It'll be it'll be very good because it's a genuine uh, you know sport that should go well at the Olympics, like hockey, like football, and those sorts of things. It, it's very watchable, and uh, the world might like it.
Just finally, are you confident the Aussies will get the job done tonight? Yes, I, I'm, I'll say I'm very confident tonight, and and it'll it'll just cement their confidence if they have a good night tonight, and they'll be as hard to beat as India possibly in the future games, you know. And then, sort of, I, I think they're going to peak at the right time. They've got uh, six games to go before a semi-final selection, so they, they just need to play real well and hopefully get their run rate going and don't have trouble with washouts. Um, they're all things that they now have to worry about because they haven't won those first two games. But, yeah, I'm very confident. Heels, as always, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, let's hope the Aussies put in a great performance uh, tonight. We'll chat to you soon. OK, no worries, fellas. Bye. Thanks, Heels. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop and Campbell Brown with you live from Sheen Panel Service. Lilydale, uh, it's now open. Come and meet the team at 56 John Street in Lilydale. I'm going to talk plenty of racing uh, very shortly. Chris Waller, champion trainer, will join us. Uh, Nathan Broad, uh, the Tigers Premiership star, who uh, owns a big chance, Sulcum, uh, in the Caulfield Cup, or one of the owners, uh, with some of his Richmond teammates. Uh, and we'll get Brownies tips. Jake Brimmer uh, from Melbourne Victory will join us on Melbourne Victory Membership Day. Just a few off the 40. Wings uh, temper. Sharon from Glen Iris is pretty happy with your work. Thank you, Campbell Brown, for your viewpoint on Ginnivan's grand final eve behaviour. Well explained. Uh, another one. Just sick of it. Can we ban the name Ginnivan for the rest of the show? <laughs> Collingwood doesn't care. Uh, the rest of us care even less. And uh, one saying, you didn't mention uh, the good culture at the Brisbane Lions. Speaking of the Lions, Jack Gunston's decision to leave after one year, a... How do you think Brisbane would be feeling about it? In the end, they did do the deal. And, I mean, David King, for one, wasn't overly excited about the idea of Jack going back to Hawthorne. Are you happy with the idea that he is back at the Hawks? Yeah, I think he'll be a really good contributor for them as that sort of third string forward. Um, he, he didn't have the best of luck with injuries, you know, this year hurting his knee, and he, he probably wasn't in the, the best of form. And, um you know, that, that forward line is, is Hipwood and Danaher's, you know, and, and for whatever reason, he couldn't just slot in and, and um, play as well as he'd like. So I was very surprised because when he decided to, to leave Hawthorne at his age, you expect it to be, you know, for the rest of his career. Yep. So a um, bit of a, a backflip to, to get back to the Hawks and, and um, you know, they weren't desperate to, to get him initially, but the cards fell the right way on that last day and he ended up coming back. I, I think Brisbane have got a great young player in, in Brandon Ryan mm. as well. Like he's, you know, he showed some glimpses, plucked out of the VFL, um, still pretty raw. I think his, his improvement, you know, now that he's been in the system, he gets a full pre-season and, and a full season at the elite level. Um, you know, he, he's going to be um, at least putting a little bit of pressure on those Brisbane forwards. Okay, so where's the opportunity come for him though? So we had um, Rob McCartney on the run home yesterday said, look, you know, part of the problem for Brandon potentially at Hawthorne was, you know, Lewis, Child, they've got Ramston and they've got the two rucks, Meek and um, Reeves, that they've got to juggle. But unless Danaher and Ipwood go down, he's not playing. No, he's not. No, he's not. But it, but again, he's he just adds a nice element of depth that if one of those players do go down with a, a long-term injury, that they've at least got someone, um, you know, who, who's... Knows how to kick a goal. He can crash some packs. And if he can put on a bit of bulk in the preseason, he'll provide a bit of a presence. So I think it was more just a move for a little bit of, you know, a little bit of depth and compensation if one of those key forwards aren't around. So the Hawks got enough firepower now to, to push into the top eight with Ginnivan no. coming in, Gunston, Chow, you don't No, think... I don't think they'll be playing uh, finals next year. I think they'll be a long way off it. But, you know, like they were competitive most weeks mm. this, this year and they beat, you know, Brisbane and they beat... The doggies and the pies, and you know they 
They probably gave up winnable games against GWS and Adelaide. So yep. their form on their day was was good. I mean, they copped some absolute hidings as well. But um, it was certainly with that forward line, which was their biggest Achilles heel, helped them be even more competitive. Uh, it's Melbourne Victory Membership Day here on SEN. Uh, Jake Brimmer, uh, Melbourne Victory star, uh, will join us very shortly. Get $60 three-game Melbourne Victory memberships today. Only to do that, go to mvfc.com.au. Let's get the news. And uh, on the other side, champion... It's uh, Sorry, that's go mvfc.com.au for your Melbourne Victory memberships. Thank you, Amy. He lasted 91 minutes, but in the end, the smell of the taco truck proved too much for Campbell Brown, and uh, he's just about to tuck in as we speak. Huge day at Caulfield, of course, tomorrow. Uh, champion trainer uh, Chris Waller, he's going to saddle three up in the big race, the Caulfield Cup. has been good enough to join us uh, this afternoon on Dwayne's World. G'day, Chris. Hey, guys. How are we? Uh, very well, as always. Uh, you're very generous with your time. We appreciate it. Uh, the Caulfield Cup, in terms of uh, big races in this country, where do you rate it? Um, number six. Number six? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, just... Don't ask me the... what's one, two, three, four, no, I'm five. Not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to. But uh, number six, we're pretty happy with that. Just, I was asking Campbell Brown this question off air before... I remember growing up, it was always such a big guide to the Cor- uh, the Melbourne Cup, the Caulfield Cup. Is is that still the case or, or not so much anymore? No, it's a big deal. And um, to be to be to be a bit more realistic, I'd say look it's it's number two to the Melbourne Cup and where has the Everest jumped in? Obviously Cox Plate's probably the right there as well. So Melbourne Cup from a, just a general audience point of view Pure racing, Cox Plate as the best horses, and then Caulfield Cup, Everest, they're right there. And um, yeah, and there's just so many. Well, I think that what we're seeing in racing is just it's becoming bigger and bigger, competition, more exposure. But the Caulfield Cup's a big deal. Um, there'll be a good crowd tomorrow, and it's a great lead up into the Melbourne Cup. Chris, you've got three live chances. You haven't had Montefilia too long, but she, she's she been around the mark in Caulfield Cup and Melbourne Cups for a while. Obviously, Francesco Gardi and uh, and the favourite, Solcom. You must be absolutely wrapped with Solcom's preparation so far. Um, just been building up nicely, running really, really well. Um, have you done anything leading up to the Caulfield Cup uh, regarding the way that the horse starts? Because it has been known just to miss the kick a little bit, which puts it on the back foot. The only thing I've done is I rung William Haggis, who trained the horse back in England, and he assured me, he said, don't worry about it, don't try and change it, that's him. Um, probably not much different to athletes, whether it's footy or whether it's um, athletics. A, whole, a person likes to just get their, get into their normal r- rhythm in their zone, and then they peak. Um, not everyone's at their best in the first 10 minutes of a game but most importantly you're comfortable and find your rhythm and that's the case with Solcombe so no we haven't done anything different with him um, I just feel look you're seeing Quiggan slowly in, in speed races like he's he's come from a 1700 I think an 1800 and then a 2000 he's all of a sudden now racing against stayers over 2400 so Realistically, they're all a little bit slow to begin. Um, so I don't think it'll be as noticeable. So that's the way we're playing it going into the Caulfield Cup with Sulkin.
Uh, Chris, are you expecting uh, Gold Trip to run around tomorrow, or do you think there could be a chance of a late scratching there? Um, honestly, not my problem. Um, <laughs> yep. I hope he doesn't, because his win the other day was <laughs> awesome, and um, he's just come back very well. Yes, he's got a big weight, but traditionally we're seeing horse, good horses win these races, and um, yeah, if he's there, he's going to be very hard to beat. We've been focusing on the Corfu Cup and uh, Victorian racing at the moment, but uh, there's a, no, a really nice Five Diamonds prelude up in uh, up in Sydney that you've got um, a chance that I actually tipped this morning, uh, Chris, and it's Waterford. How's uh, how's yep. that horse going into tomorrow's start? He's building towards something decent. Um, the 1,300-metre race, I think he was in last start, was just too short. 1,500 metres, Randwick, I think you'll start to get a different type of profile. And that'll suit him. He's drawn perfectly in gate seven prior to scratchings. Tommy Berry's aboard. He's pretty bullish about his chances. And um, I think you're pretty close to the mark. Going back to uh, Sulcum, uh, Chris, you got some high-profile Richmond footballers uh, as owners, or one retired Richmond footballer now in Jack Reed. Well, we're going to talk to Nathan Broad. Very shortly. How are they as owners? Uh, on the phone a bit, keeping their distance, not trying to give you too much advice? What are they like? No, they're absolute gentlemen, and it's a credit to the code of, from what I've seen in terms of people. Um, I think it, there, was, there was two or three of them at the track on Tuesday morning, and they were amazed um, Yeah, look, how the training goes and how big they are, how fast they go, the noise they make as they were going past. It was up close and personal, and um, I think they can relate to the high-intensity training um, as well as the variables that go go into a, a game and, and and just the luck of the or the bounce of the ball, I guess. Mm. So, no, it's, it, I often find with sporting people they they really respect what we do, and it's it's a great a great way for them to get that winning feeling that we'll see them doing it week in week out on the field. But to get that winning feeling that few of us have had the chance to, to have as owners, um, it's pretty special when the horse is racing, the build-up to a race, and then when they are lucky enough to win, it's a, um, yeah, it's a great sport to be involved in for so many people. Chris, you've been doing this for a very long time. You've been at the, the top of your game for forever, over 150 Group 1s and, and won pretty much everything there is to win. How do you stay motivated to get up Every morning, you know, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, go to the sales, buy more horses and, and go through that monotonous routine every day of your life? Um, to be honest, it's probably... You're, you're well aware of um, your comp- competition and young people coming through and you know if you rest on your laurels that you'll get taken over. So it's just... For me, it's just, I guess... Um, we're lucky in Australia. It's 52 weeks of the year. You got you keep your your eye on the ball and and you make sure you're getting good results. And when you tend to just drop off a bit, you say, "Well, right, oh, come on, I've got to step up and and just take that next step." So competition, I think, is great for me personally. And um, as I touched on, the racing in Australia is just there's just so much to look forward to every week. Um, we've got the Caulfield Cup tomorrow, we've got Cox Plate next week, we've got the Melbourne Cup, and then you're into Magic Millions, the Autumn Carnival. It just rolls. So um, 
I'm I'm lucky to be training in a in a sport that's just going ahead in leaps and bounds. We're seeing more and more trainers um, become partners, you know, with with other other trainers and join forces. Um, you're 50 next year. Um, is that is that something that you would look at going forward to ease your workload a, a little bit? Um, for me, look, it's a little bit hard. I, I haven't given it endless amounts of thought, but if you start taking on a partner, I guess from my perspective, there's so many other people behind the scenes. Why am I taking on one partner and why am I not taking on five people? Um, I, I, I'd say I'll do it at some stage, but I'd say it'd be a good 10 years away without having a lot of thought. But hey, I might wake up one night and say, gee, I'm not enjoying this like I used to. And and I'd say that's when I would I, I would call on a partner to help me through the last five or 10 years um, and give someone the opportunity to help build them. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting one, but like I like to look after our staff best I can and it comes down to more than just one, one man or one woman and I guess that's the main reason behind my thinking at this stage. Uh, life begins at 50, Chris, uh, so you'll be absolutely <laughs> flying for a long time yet. Uh, as always, uh, generous with your time. Much appreciated. Uh, good luck at Caulfield tomorrow. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Chris. Always great to chat to champion trainer Chris Waller. Uh, we're going to change gears a little bit after the break. One of the big sporting events that's on in, uh, well, Victoria. I was going to say Melbourne, but more Victoria this weekend is the MotoGP down at Phillip Island. Very un-Phillip Island-like conditions today. And uh, the new boss of the Australian Grand Prix, the CEO, Travis Old, will join us after the break here on Dwayne's World. It's time to unleash you at Kangan Institute. Enrol now. Kangan.edu.au. RTO 3077. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show live from Sheen Panel Service, Lilydale, 56 John Street, Lilydale. Travis Holt to join us very shortly. Let's get to Lewis in WA. G'day, Lewis. No, I'm in SA. I'm in SA, but that's all right. Oh, I'll it says you WA. Yeah, that's all right. It's west of Victoria. No. That's right. Speaking of SA, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a bit, bit of a Port Nuffy, but I'll try and not be biased here. I just wanted <laughs> to talk about Port Adelaide during the trade period, yep. uh, Campbell. So I reckon, I reckon, I'll try and be unbiased, but I reckon we have one of the best trade periods ever. You know, picking up, you know, I think everyone would agree our holes were in our uh, back line and in our ruck contest, but we're able to pick up probably two of the better defenders and the better ruckman available. And I wouldn't accept anything less than a premiership next year. Yeah, I think you, you knew exactly what you wanted to achieve out of the trade period and you, you went after it and you, you landed the, uh, the players you wanted. Um, you know, Sweet uh, is a very accomplished ruckman. Um, so is big Ivan Soldo. So you've got a bit, a bit of cover there for, with two ruckmen. And then um, Tom Jonas retires. So you need to get the, you know, the big key position back. Sava, you know, radically will hold that down that position too. And um, you know, Zerk Thatcher is a really good player. He just isn't a key position player. He's the guy that needs to zone off and help intercept and, and do all those things. And um, he was hung out to dry a couple of times for Essendon this year and, and was found out due to some of their injuries and whatnot. So I think if he can play that role, uh, you know, along with Trent McKenzie and some of those other guys, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're one of the big winners out of the trade period and um, and really 
identified where their weaknesses were and went about um, achieving their best result. Thanks for your call, Lewis. Uh, in a previous life, this man would have been just uh, finalising the fixture for 2024, but he's now the Australian Grand Prix CEO. His name's Travis Old. He's been good enough to join us from down at the island. G'day, Travis. Afternoon, gents. How are we? Very well. It must be, uh, I was just saying to Brownie before, it's a bit un-Philip Island-like conditions down there. It must be sensational. Yeah, everyone's complaining about the heat, which um, <laughs> I'm not. It's, um, it's been beautiful. It's sun's out. Um, and the guys are out on the track, and it's um, it's a perfect day. How are you finding the new role, uh, Travis? It's a it's a fair change of pace, change of sports for you. How have you settled in? Well, look, I'm loving it. I'm I'm what am I? Two months in. Um, some of it's the same. It's sort of it's still sport and entertainment, and in many ways, you know, a lot of the partners are the same. But there's big 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 bits of it are different as well, particularly the international component, and learning a lot about motor racing. And so um, I'm enjoying all the new bits, um, and I'm on a quick steep learning curve. Trav, congratulations, mate. Uh, I was going to ask you about that uh, international component because obviously you've been involved at, in the AFL as the CEO of the Suns and then running the fishing at the AFL, very, well, only Australia-centric. Now you go to a, a sport that's truly global. What are some of the big differences? Yeah, I think, Brandy, that's the, I mean, that is the big difference. Um, I was lucky early on that the F1 um, head office had a promoters conference in London and so got to go over there and meet um, all the other promoters and it's just you know you're dealing with um, a very different landscape it's a massive sport globally the scale of it's huge and 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 we're a big part of that um, but that's I mean that's the exciting part that's the bit that's new and that really interests me in the role um, and probably the bit that I learned the most from. What sort of crowds are you expecting down there this weekend Travis I mean Back in the day when, you know, Casey Stoner was, you know, winning world titles and obviously Wayne Gardner, Mick Dillon, it was huge. We've got an Aussie in the field, Jack Miller, hasn't that his, his best season this year? But uh, with the weather forecast, which doesn't look great for Sunday, what, what sort of crowds are you expecting this weekend? Um, well, look, I think at the moment the forecast is sort of around the 80,000 um, mark, which is, which is pretty solid. Last year was a bit higher, but we'd had two races prior to that cancelled. So there'd been a bit of a, a build-up of interest. Um, for those that follow MotoGP, the championship's sort of yep. wide open. I think it changed twice last weekend in Indonesia, and so it's a it's a it's an important race um, for a number of reasons, and I think that'll drive a lot of interest. Have you got a sense for? I mean, this race is is enriched in Australian history. The first two, you know, won by Wayne Gardner, which was so big. Have you got a sort of an idea of how important this race uh, is to Australians? And I guess the rich history we've got in it. Look, yes, a lot more now than I did eight or nine weeks ago. Um, we've got Mick Doohan on our board and I spent a bit of time with Wayne Gardner and Casey Stoner, actually. So I've, I've, I've sort of, some of our past champions, I've had the pleasure of spending some time with. I think this is the 27th race here. Um, it's been in Australia for 30-odd years. For six years, was Eastern Creek. So yep. I've, I'm learning a lot quickly, um, but the history of this circuit um, you know, is new to me and I've got a much better appreciation now. We've got a very famous Vegas strip that's about to host uh, the, the Formula One coming up in November. I would imagine um, you'd need to go over there in some sort of studying capacity, Trav. It does. I mean, Campbell, you know these things, how they work. I, no doubt there's some important <laughs> meetings happening. I haven't quite locked it in yet, um, but I'm keeping an eye on the phone just in case something pops up. <laughs> now, I'm actually, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, a massive GP guy, but um, I will be down there on Sunday in the... Uh, 
the village platinum area just fl- floating cap, around, Trav. So or um, or I assume there? I'll be I'll be seeing you at some stage. How are you getting there? Well, the yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was going to say we, we were talking about the celebs, and they showed me the list, and you're on there. And I thought we're going okay here. With, um, <laughs> got some big names coming, big names coming down. So no doubt that'll drive some interest in the uh, in the suite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would have thought one of the other prerequisites for the job and, and learning a bit would be to jump on the back of one of the bikes there at uh, Phillip Island. Listening to Chris Vermeulen this morning with Sam Edmund, getting up to about 330 kilometres an hour on the main straight. Have you jumped on the back of a bike yet? They offered. Um, they did offer me the opportunity to do that, and I told them I was busy. I don't know what time it is, but I'm going to be busy. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I did a hot lap in a supercar, and uh, that was enough for me. And that's with uh, with the door next to me. So I'm not sure what it'd be like in the back of one of these things. But these guys have got some serious courage. Um, and if you see it live, and um, the things they do, and the the speed in which they hit the turns is actually quite phenomenal. Uh, as we mentioned, Jack Miller, the Aussie in the field. I think he's ninth in the World Championship uh, at the moment. Uh, when can we see Jack on the track for the first time? Well, then, so they're doing practice at the moment. Um, so that he'll be on an, out there a couple of times today. And then tomorrow, obviously, they've got the sprint, which is a new addition. And so yep. the sprint race um, has actually attracted a lot of interest, and it's for points. And so um, it'll be quite important for the um, for the championship. So you'll get the same race um, tomorrow is the, is the short answer ahead of the the main race on Sunday. You are missing doing the fixture, Travis. I'm sure you must be missing that terribly. Look, look it hasn't been the thing I've missed the most, as I tell you, Jules. It's sort of, there's, there's, um, it's one of those things that never gets easier. And in fact, with the gather round, it probably just got a little bit harder. But um, it's an important part of what I used to do. Uh, but I'm glad I don't do the calendar for F1 or MotoGP. No, that would be pretty difficult. Hey, Travis, uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, enjoy the weekend, and uh, let's hope it's a great event down there. Thanks, guys, and thanks for having us. And, Campbell, look forward to seeing you tomorrow, uh, Sunday. <laughs> Can't, wait. <laughs> Can't wait. Good stuff. Uh, Travis Old, Australian Grand Prix CEO. Let's get another breakaway here on Dwayne's World. Thanks to the Kangan Institute. Welcome back to the show. Julian Stoop and Campbell Brown with you live from Sheen Panel Service out in Lilydale. Uh, we're going to turn our attention now to racing. A lot of racing in the final hour. Racing preview for the new McCrispy. It's the next big thing. So we'll get Brownie's tips uh, very shortly. But Nathan Broad, he's got a good strike rate. He's played in three grand finals. He's won three premierships. And now he's part of the Punt Road End ownership uh, that's got Sulcum uh, going around in the Caulfield Cup tomorrow. Nathan's been good enough to join us. Hello, Nathan. How you going, mate? How are you? I'm well. Now, I believe this is a bit of a hit-run mission for you, coming in for WA for the race and then ducking off back home. Yeah, yeah. So it's landed about half an hour ago, and I uh, fly back out early Sunday morning. So that should be uh, a lot of fun, that flight, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be very fun if you uh, you win the race. That uh, you might have a sore head. But uh, tell us about how the old punt road end ownership came about with you and some of your your tiger teammates. Uh, well, yeah, we're very fortunate um, to know Johnny O'Neill and um, be friends with Johnny. And um, as the friendship grew and the relationship grew, um, Johnny and Ozzy asked us if we'd like to come in on a horse, and um, yeah, we wouldn't say no. We'd, the amount of Group 1 winners they've had and uh, how much success they've had. So we jumped on in and started the syndication up, which was good, the syndicate. Um, and they've been, yeah, amazing for us and so generous. Um, every good horse that, that seems to come their way, they always send a message or an email saying, would you like to be in? So, um, yeah, it's thanks to those guys that um, Punt Road started. And ha- I mean, I heard some of the... What would it... If you did win a Caulfield Cup, such a famous race... 
I mean, it's a bit of a stock standard question, but how would you compare it to, to what you've done in your footy? Oh, well, I think we've said it before that it would go close to who won the Melbourne Cup or the Caulfield Cup, which, uh, yeah, hopefully we're in the Caulfield this weekend. Um, but, yeah, if we won the Caulfield Cup, it would be up there with, with probably 20. Uh, nothing to let beat 17, but, yeah, it's an amazing feeling winning a race. I couldn't imagine winning a, a Group 1, so fingers crossed we can, yeah, win the Caulfield Cup tomorrow. Brody, Solcombe's won two races for you since uh, it's been in Australia. Obviously, that, that first uh, win on debut in Australia back last year. but And then and then the big one first up uh, this year, you know, big price. But every single chance, or every single time the horse runs, it, it's half a chance, isn't it? And um, it gets back. It's always flying home. It always gives you a really good look. Yeah, he's such a good horse. Probably had a pretty uh, quiet autumn, which was uh, disappointing, but the way it was. And then... Um yeah, to, to put a performance at 1,700 like it did was um, unbelievable. And, yeah, it got us all excited again. So uh, always shows a good showing. And hopefully, yeah, tomorrow at Caulfield, with a light weight and a distance that it's probably uh, more likely to, it can be right there in the finish line. Is the Punt Road Syndicate building now? Like, I reckon on the back of, you know, you originals and, and Liam Baker and uh, Jackie Graham and a few, you've probably got some other teammates now that are just sniffing around wanting to, to get involved in these good horses. Are you going to sort of put them through a vetting process? Are you <laughs> knocking them back? Uh, is there a no dickhead policy? How does it work? <laughs> nah, screw them. They're done. They had their chance. <laughs> buddy. When Tolkien was... When Tolkien was, you know, a battler and having a shock in autumn, um, they didn't want a bar of Tolkien and they didn't want a bar of it. Now that it's all roses, um, they want to jump back on. So we've been through the through the ringer and the tough times and, yeah, we're going to enjoy the good times. Screw the rest of them. Sorry to Richmond, three-time premiership player and part owner of Sulcum, Nathan Broad. Now, when you were talking about the horse then, Nathan, it actually sounds like you know what you're talking about. I heard Jaden Short on the other day with you know, and breakfast. I'm not sure he knows the front end of the horse from the back end of the horse, but it sounds like you, you – is this something you've always been interested in, horse racing? Yeah, yeah I think Shorty's just in for the ride, to be honest. But yeah. um, We're trying to teach him so he's a bit more prepped for this media stuff. But, um, no, nah, it's good. He's, it's good and not – yeah, I've always loved my horse racing from back in WA. Um, had a couple of horses there with my mates um, from school and that, so – it's always been a passion and had a farm going up with a couple of horses. So I've always loved the animals and loved the horse racing industry. And, yeah, now I'm very lucky I can um, be at the good end of it. Uh, now, is a couple of the owners aren't even going to be there tomorrow, are they? A couple of your teammates are overseas. Yeah, a couple of them are uh, just arriving in Vegas today, Liam Baker and Jack Graham. So, um, yeah, I don't know what time it'll be um, come the Caulfield Cup in Vegas, but uh, they're living it up there. And, yeah, the rest of us will be here, which should be good fun. Now, we've got a little uh, well, a tip to ask you about Victoria Road in the Cox Plate next week. Is that one you've got a little bit of an interest in as well? Yeah, yeah. We're um, same thing again with John, Johnny and Ozzy. Um, they're amazing, especially Ozzy, at finding these good horses. And, um, yeah, we, we've got no idea what we're talking about or looking for in a good horse. So we just back him. And, yeah, Victoria Road's another one that we've got a small part in. So hopefully, yeah, the Cox Plate, it can, it can go good running and... What time will they be watching over in Vegas? Well, oh, it's Brent? 18 hours behind, so it'll be, uh, you know, probably 10 o'clock-ish on, on Friday night. Yeah, no, Perfect it's, it's really good. Perfect timing. Uh, you got a new coach down there, uh, Brody. I was speaking to someone that uh, connected with Richmond the other day. They said they've never seen so many blokes down the club running laps and keeping an eye on the coach's window uh, since you got a new coach. Uh, have you met Adam yet, and what are your impressions? Yeah, I've, I've heard, I've been impressed, but I've heard rumours it's most, 
blokes you've seen down the club ever. So uh, a few <laughs> blokes looking for a spot, I think. So, But it's good. It keeps competition high. But, yeah, I've met him a couple of times. Met him at the best and fairest. Um, he dressed there and um, had a one-on-one chat with him just briefly. And, yeah, he seems like a genuine bloke and a, and a bloke that's real keen on connection and building relationships, which is, yeah, what our club's built off. So super excited um, to, yeah, get to know more. And Chris Newman's obviously back. Um, from Hawks, so I uh, haven't had much to do with him, but yeah, same thing, I've only heard good things about him, so it's an exciting time for the footy club, and um, can't wait to get stuck in, to be honest. You've lost a big Ivan Soldo, but you bring Jacob Gazitsky, have you, have you played on Jacob before? Yeah, the, the club bloody put up a highlight field of Jacob, and they were nice enough to put a couple of him <laughs> marking against me, so that was, uh, that was nice of him, but um, I have played on him a few times, he's a, he's a big boy and um, a great competitor, and I think he'd be awesome um, there side-by-side side with Lynchy and whoever else we have down there. So very excited and, um, yeah, looking forward to meeting him. Uh, Nathan, thanks for your time. Before we let you go, are you are you hopeful for Sulcombe tomorrow? Are you quietly confident? Uh, how are you feeling ahead of the big race? Oh, yeah, quietly um, just, yeah, just sitting back and observing. For now, there's obviously some good horses in the race. Um, I think the Jamie Carvelli and King's a great horse at lightweight. Um, there's a couple of others there as well. So who you mail is, is a good horse too. So obviously the Caulfield Cup's always going to produce good horses, but I think we've drawn a great barrier. Um, we've dropped down in weight. I think, yeah, if uh, we get out to the outside down the straight, look out. My advice for you, mate, I've owned plenty of horses with Johnny O'Neill over the last 20 years. If you do win, he's got a collection of green tree snakes at home. Just avoid them at all costs. <laughs> I have heard about these, these snakes, so uh, we'll see how we go if we win. Good on you, mate. Hey, just quickly, where's uh, where's Jack's allegiance lie tomorrow? Is it Sulcombe or is it uh, Valiant King? Is he going to share with that with Trent Cochin? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the money's come for it too, so I don't know if that's uh, that's Jack's money that made it come for it. But, um, no, they do have a small part in Valiant King, and um, it's a great horse first up. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but... I think his heart will be in Sulcombe with the boys. Um, loves the Punt Road End Syndicate. So, heart in Sulcombe. But, uh, yeah, he'll have one eye on Dolly King, that's for sure. Awesome, mate. Nathan, uh, enjoy the day tomorrow. Let's hope it goes your way like it did in those uh, three grand finals. Uh, thanks so much for jumping on this afternoon. No worries, boys. Have a great day. Great to chat to three-time Richmond Premiership player, uh, defender, and now part owner of Sulcombe, Nathan Broad, Victoria Road, who he's got a bit of a share in with Johnny O'Neill, as he mentioned, currently the $8 second favourite for the Cox Plate with the bookies. What what do you know about Victoria Road? Uh, I don't know a whole heap about it. Um, I've sort of... it's It'd have to be a chance, um, but I just feel... Coming out of uh, the, the Caulfield Cup, is that the right? That, that's what you're talking about, yeah? The Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, Cox Plate. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's all right. I just tuned out for a second. <laughs> um, they do buy these these international horses, and they've got a very, very, very good eye out for them. Um, and so they're, they're astute businessmen. They run it like a business, and um, it doesn't you know, it doesn't always work out for you. But more often than not, they uh, you know they they buy one and, and it produces. For those that don't. Own a horse with John O'Neill. What's the green tree snakes about? <laughs> no, nah, it's just a little <laughs> internal joke that Freud is very well aware of. Uh, but uh, he's, a, he's a great man, Johnny O'Neill. What about tomorrow's Caulfield Cup? We'll get your tips in detail a little bit uh, later on. But uh, in terms of overall strength of this Caulfield Cup field, how good is it? Strengthened right up. Yep. Yeah, probably um, oh, six, eight weeks ago, it looked like it was just going to be quite mediocre. But now some of these... Really good international horses have, have decided to make the journey. Um, 
I've tipped West Wind blows for a month now. I, I, I thought um, whatever it did in, in the Turnbull a couple of weeks ago, it would be better for the run, and it ran a really nice second um, to goal trip. Um, and, yeah, obviously Solcombe's come on in leaps and bounds. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good race, this one. Um, Joseph O'Brien's Valiant King, which we've mentioned already. So there's plenty of, of you know, live chances. And, um, and the Japanese horse as well obviously break up. As when we talk racing with Brownie on a Friday, it's all thanks to the new McCrispy. It's the next big, big thing. Try today at Macca's, available after 10.30am. You mentioned it towards the top of the show that no horse has won from Barrier 1 in years, decades, in the Caulfield Cup. Is that just a, is that a bit of a freak thing? Or why is it such a challenge out of Barrier 1 in a race like the Caulfield Cup? Well, it's probably a little bit of a freak thing, but, um, you know, m most of the time you just get buried away. Um, there's so many horses in the race. Unless your uh, tactical speed and naturally like to race, you know, near the lead or, or, or lead them up, barrier one is not a great barrier. Um, you know, we heard Peter Moody last yeah. last week say in the Everest, any barrier but barrier one, and then I wish I wing got it. Now, that yeah. was a sprint race, yep. which is a little bit different, um, but... You do tend to get cluttered up a little bit, and if you get if you get caught on the fence, midfield, you could be absolutely bolting at the 800, the 600, but you just simply can't you can't hurdle these horses. You've got to somehow weave a passage through, and luck becomes um, a really you know, big equation. Quite often, we've seen horses finally get clear, hit the line really well for a fourth, fifth, sixth, or you know what I mean, and and you say, what if? What if we'd drawn a decent barrier, not barrier one? Do you think Gold Trip will run? I do, yeah. yeah. Only because I was probably in the camp of no. Like, my thinking with Gold Trip is, okay, um, you won last year's Melbourne Cup. You, you could probably win this year's Cox Plate. Why win the Caulfield Cup and get uh, the penalty? Yeah. Because it, it'll have to carry you know, another kilo and a half or two kilos, which they might think, with our ratings and the way the horse is going, doesn't matter. But um, I would, if I was an owner, I'd be, I'd be certainly looking at Cox Plate Caulfield, uh, Melbourne Cup. I, I know that did it did a similar thing last year. Ran an absolute bottler in the Caulfield Cup. Went to the Cox Plate. Ran huge, and then Melbourne Cup. But um, bigger fish to fry. But yeah, Sonny Roth messaged me yesterday and said we will definitely be running, and uh, I take him on his word. Do you think we'll, this will be a pretty good guide for the Melbourne Cup? What happens tomorrow? Oh, yes and no. There's still plenty of horses in the Melbourne Cup that won't be running in, yeah. in the Caulfield Cup. So. Um, I mean, if, if Solcombe comes out and runs an unbelievably strong 2,400 um, and blows them away, is, you'd think that 3,200 would be perfect for the horse and, and a good top-up. I, I think that that horse is primed for the Caulfield Cup, and that's its pet distance, 2,000 to 2,400. Um, some of these other horses will be just getting getting a run, looking towards Melbourne Cup. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. I think West Wind blows will be, you know, could, could do the double. OK, we'll get some more of your tips uh, a bit later on in the show. Of course, what's gambling really costing you for free and confidential support? Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. We are live from Sheen Panel Service, Lilydale in Lilydale. The taco truck has just shut, which is very, very disappointing because it was absolutely magnificent. Sheen Panel Service, Lilydale is now open. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop and Campbell Brown with you up until three. Then the run home, Andy and Gazy also out in the road today down at uh, Melbourne Central, right near the clock tower uh, for Moo Moo. So if you're in the area, pop down and see those two clowns uh, in action. We are live from Sheen Panel Service, 
Lilydale. Sheen Panel Service is now open. Come and meet the team at 56 John Street, Lilydale. Also, Melbourne Victory membership today on SCN. Get a $60 three-game Melbourne Victory membership today only. Visit gomvfc.com.au and the 2023-24 Men's A-League starts this weekend. The W League got underway uh, last weekend and uh, one man that the victory are more than happy to have back on the park is Jake Brimmer. He's been good enough to join us this afternoon. G'day, Jake. G'day, guys. How are we going? Very well. Uh, you must be absolutely raring to go after, what, eight months uh, on the sidelines? Yeah, about eight and a half months. Uh, it's an understatement. I, I cannot wait. You have no idea. It's been, it's been a hell of a journey, but yeah, I'm fit now, fit and ready to go and looking forward to the season ahead. I mean, that, that must be one of the, the tough things of being a footballer in Australia compared to the European leagues and most of the leagues around the world where the turnaround between seasons is, is pretty short, really, but it's not quite the case over here. No, well, like you say, you've only got a short amount of games as well. Like, I know in Europe you play 40, 50 games minimum a year, and obviously here in Australia it's a 26-game season. So, you know, I happened to miss 10, 10, 11 games last year and only got to play about 14, 15. So, like I said, I'm excited to go. I'm back now and just look forward to progressing this year. Did it, being on the sidelines for that long, particularly coming off such an amazing season two seasons ago when you won the Johnny Warren medal, did it, did it change your perspective on the game at all? Did you miss it more than you thought? What was sort of your thought process, you know, spending those lonely times in rehab and, and waiting to get back out on the pitch? Yeah, look, it was probably the darkest days of my life, if I'm honest, because... You know, when you, you sort of take it for granted when you have it in front of you, but as soon as it's gone, you, you begin to realise how much you love it and how much you miss it. And, you know, it's grown me mentally, um, obviously physically a lot stronger now. And, yeah, again, you just, you just realise how much you love football when you don't have it in, right in front of you. So coming back from the, the torn meniscus, how did that sort of uh, work in terms of your pre-season? You know, how long have you been back in, 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 in full work? And... Uh, I'm assuming right now you're feeling 100% ready to go. Uh, look, I, I did my meniscus, obviously. I think it was about Feb 26 in the Adelaide Dome in the Unite round back then in, in February. And I did my meniscus, but I happened to... I got the surgery done and it got infected. And then after the infection, I beat the infection. I needed a manipulation because my knee wouldn't bend. So I ended up getting about three surgeries in the space of a month and a half, which set me back probably a lot longer than... Uh, initially, we initially thought so. Yeah, look, like I said, I'm back now. Um, I've been back probably about a month on full training and getting involved in a bit more games. So again, my body feels good. I, I feel ready, and I just yeah, I, can't, I really can't wait to get started again. It's been a Jake Brimmer, Melbourne Victory star, Johnny Warren, Warren medalist a couple of seasons ago. Before we look ahead to this season, obviously on a personal note. And also for the team, I mean, I assume last season couldn't have ended quick enough. Results were tough, you know, all the drama about what happened uh, in that Melbourne derby in December last year. It must have been a season where I guess everyone walked away pretty disappointed and, and couldn't wait for the next one to start. Yeah, well, being, being um, the biggest club in Australia, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, to be honest, um, it was very disappointing. And, you know, being a Melbourne Victory fan... Myself personally, it was it was it was embarrassing, and you don't want to be uh, finishing where we finished uh, last season. And again, I can't reiterate how much you know we've worked since then and 
how much we've improved as a team and as a football club as well. You know, we're all here as one and we know the expectations this year. And again, we just, we just can't wait to get started. So how did the manager, Tony Popovich, handle that? I mean, he is a winner. As a manager, as a player, he, he's, he's used to winning. So how did he sort of, in the, in the assessments of last season, handle that with the players coming off such a disappointing season? Yeah, look, a lot of people criticise Tony uh, for where we finished. But, you know, me, I don't think it has anything to do with the manager. I believe that um, we just honestly had a lot of bad luck last season. And that's not me giving an excuse right now. But anything that went wrong sort of went wrong. And, you know, we had a chat at the end of the year. And, again, the expectation of Melbourne Victory Football Club is to be challenging every single year to, to win trophies. And... You know, once the season, we were out of the season and we weren't in the, in the finals, we sat down and re-evaluated what, we're, what we have to improve. And again, like, we've come in, uh, we've worked very hard and so does every team, but we've got a, we've got a goal to reach this year and that's to win trophies. Of the new faces, uh, Daniel Arzani joins the club, a, a young man that had the world at his feet before injuries a few years ago. Adama Troy returns as well. Um, of, of the new players that you've brought in, whether it's those two or a couple of the others, who do you expect to have you know, the most impact this season? Uh, for me, um, out of the new players, I definitely say Daniel Arzani. I definitely think he, I think he brings a new spark to the team. Um, different to a lot of wingers we've had recently and you know he's he's come in to, to pre-season fit and his body is just immaculate do you know what I mean he's come in and he's worked really hard to get to where he is now and I'm sure that if he maintains that um, he'll have an outstanding season. There's no easing into the season a big blue to start off and obviously during the week uh, you know it was announced that the, the, the grand final location was overturned in favour of uh, Unite round in Sydney, I'm assuming as a victory player, and if you've got the right to host the grand final, uh, you're more than happy that it won't be in Sydney. But overall, what do you make of that decision and the fact there will be uh, your night round in Sydney later on in the season? I think, I think personally, it's the right decision, um, and that's not just as a as a Melbourne player, but I believe if if Perth were to win it, they deserve the grand final as well. Do you know what I mean? I think the team that finishes the league on top, and if they make the final, they deserve to have that home final and. You know, being a victory fan myself, but also a player, um, it was great news, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, no, I thought that would be your answer. Just before we let you go, obviously, Central Coast winning it last year. They've had some changes to personnel. They've got a different uh, manager. Melbourne City has been so strong. Obviously, you're confident the victory will be up there. But just of the other teams, who do you expect to be right up the pointy end this season? Uh, look, I think um, the, the team we got round one, uh, Sydney FC, they've got a a good bunch of players, and they're always strong. Um, but I think, it, for me as a Melbourne Victory player, there's no easy game in the league as being a Melbourne Victory player because, yeah, you're the biggest club in Australia and everyone wants to beat you. So uh, I don't think there's any easy games in the A-League. I think every team's very competitive. But if, if, if what I've seen from the Australia Cup, Sydney's, Sydney's going to be right up there this season. Jake, uh, it's fantastic to see you back out there. All Victory fans uh, can't wait to see you and the team in action this weekend in the Big Blue. Uh, thanks so much for your time and uh, good luck on the weekend and good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great to have Jake Brimmer on the show. It's Melbourne Victory Membership Day today. $60, three-game Melbourne Victory memberships today only. So visit gomvfc.com.au.